right, welcome back everybody to the Building Lifelong Athletes podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Ranke. Thanks so much for stopping by, I really appreciate it. Today, we're gonna have the first of a three-part series of the 2018 Endocrine Society guidelines on essentially hypogonadism and testosterone therapy for that. So this is a this was turned out to be a much longer one than I was gonna do, so I'm breaking it up just to, just to not bore everybody there, but we're gonna today for the part one, and part one is gonna talk specifically about um, how they assemble this, like, you know, what's the idea behind this clinical practice guideline, and then talking about the different types is kind of where we're gonna go into there. And then the episode number two is gonna talk more about in terms of the labs making the actual clinical diagnosis, and then three is gonna be treatment and monitoring there. But this is episode one of this mini series inside our overall um, season. But so we're gonna talk about a bunch of different things today, so I appreciate you checking out, so let's get started. So first let's talk about how they assembled this clinical practice guideline, right? So essentially what they did is they got a task force together. So they, all these people get together and they systematically go through tons and tons of data. If you look at the bottom here, there's like hundred plus references. So they go through there and they kind of come up with their quote unquote best practice, right? So they kind of look at everything together. They're looking specifically to answer specific questions that we'll talk about. And they kind of give their best input based off of their clinical experience and the evidence. So they give recommendations at varying strengths, including we recommend, which is their highest recommendation. And then we suggest, which is a lower level with less strong evidence. So that seems kind of weird, but at the end of the day, if they say we recommend, that means this is pretty much what we're all doing. And we think this is the best data. And then if they say we suggest that's saying, ah, we're not quite as sure, but we still think it's probably better this way than another way. So when we're getting these people ready then the endocrine society get them ready the task force members all had to declare any conflict of interests and all funding was paid for by the endocrine society right so this is not paid for by any pharmaceutical company or anything like that or any testosterone um, company or pharmaceutical industry so yeah just by the endocrine society and at the end of the day this clinical practice guideline it is important to mention they they mentioned this in the article this is not a the definition of what standard of care is right essentially this is a group of experts and this is what they do based on the most recent literature so this doesn't necessarily dictate standard of care standard of care varies depending on where you are and what you're doing what resources you have so standard of care is kind of a nebulous term so like this is a standard of care this is not what that necessarily is this is more kind of a big said guideline to kind of help you understand what the majority of the endocrine society like what they feel is reasonable so i think at the end of the day they may not say hey this is standard of care but i think most everybody who did that will say hey this is reasonable and that's what we're going for there and they also mentioned that you shouldn't dictate individualized care based on this. You know, you're not treating a particular patient based off of this. Treatment decisions should not be made based on this overarching evidence to be made on a case by case review. And that's kind of, I said, that's doctor speak. We're always going to say that. We're going to be like, yeah, we're kind of hedging our bets. And that's, and we do do that very often, unfortunately, but it is very true. And it sounds like cliche, but no, every person is individualized and unique and you should treat every patient with a unique and individualized plan and not just based on this. So that being said, let's talk about, they did go over a bunch of systematic reviews, like how they assembled this. They essentially commissioned two different systematic reviews. So obviously they were looking at systematic reviews where they put together a systematic review, looking at two big things to determine if testosterone replacement therapy improves sexual function, uh, physical function, fatigue, mood, cognition, anemia, and bone mineral density in men with hypogonadism. And these included placebo-controlled trials with hypogonadal men with symptoms and total testosterone less than 300 nanograms per deciliter. And when given testosterone, their levels went into the quote-unquote normal range. So that was the first question. Kind of the second one they looked at was to determine whether testosterone replacement therapy is associated with increased risk of lower urinary tract symptoms and erythrocytosis in men with hypogonadism. So once again here, we are not just looking at men who quote-unquote feel down, right? Or think they have low testosterone. This is a very important distinction. So we have to look at it through that lens. So we are not looking at people who say, hey, like, 
I think I have low T. I mean, that is a large percentage of men who come into my clinic and think they have low testosterone. And when we check them, they do not actually. So this is looking at patients who've been clinically diagnosed. And we will talk about what clinical diagnosis means in a little bit here. No worries there. But having said, we are looking specifically at people who've had their levels of total testosterone less than 300 and then also having symptoms, typically sexual symptoms as well. So it's a not just kind of subjective people saying they have low testosterone, it's like confirmed there. And so just understanding that is the frame of, of which we're looking through. We're looking through these patients who have that confirmed diagnosis of it not just others who have reported. So kind of going there. So let's dive into it here. Let's talk about the diagnosis of hypogonadism in men. Like I said, let's take a little bit of time here to break down some physiology, right? So we previously, in the first time we did talk about physiology, so you can go back there to the, to the first part of the season and talk all about physiology, but we're going to talk about how to diagnose it. So hypogonadism is a clinical syndrome that results from the failure of the testes to produce physiological concentrations of testosterone and or a number of sperm due to a pathology at one or more concentrations of the hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis so that was like the definition that they read there so i, I read that word for word and you can probably tell that because that sounded really boring so at the end of the day what is it saying we are saying well we have a syndrome or somehow the testes are not doing their job to create enough testosterone or sperm due to some issue somewhere upstream whether that's the hypothalamus the pituitary or the testicles themselves there's an issue somewhere that's inhibiting the normal production of hormones or sperm or what have you so that's kind of what we're thinking about there and specifically, we're going to talk a lot about testosterone because we're making diagnosis based off of testosterone and not sperm. But that being said, that can be a part of this. So if you go back, right, if you go back to episode one, the hypothalamus secretes GnRH, right? GnRH then acts on the pituitary gland, which then stimulates an LH and FSH secretion. And then the LH acts on the lighting cells of the testes to make testosterone. So one step back, we have the hypothalamus secretes GnRH, and that acts on the pituitary gland, which then secretes LH and FSH, and LH acts on the lighting cells to make testosterone in the testes. So, okay, all right, so we're tracking there. So we're talking like hypothalamus, pituitary, and testicle. So that's kind of this axis. They call this the HPT, or hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis, and that kind of all working together. So that's how it goes. If there's an abnormality in the testicular level, that's called primary hypogonadism. So if we have an issue at the testes, that's primary. That kind of makes sense, right? I think primary meaning like this is the main spot. You know, it kind of makes one for one, right? If we can't secrete or can't make testosterone, that's like the cause of it as opposed to something else downstream. So that is primary. If the abnormality is in the hypothalamus or pituitary gland, that is called secondary. So once again, primary issue with the testes, secondary somewhere else, usually hypothalamus or pituitary gland. And it sounds like I'm getting pedantic here and kind of really beating dead horse, but I think it's important to make these distinctions because it dictates treatment and understanding the labs. So all this stuff, I just want to make sure we're on the same page for here. And so let's talk additionally, there are some different types of hypogonadism, right? We talked about primary versus secondary. Um, we're going to go a little bit deeper here about what they are and then some other names as well. But first, primary also has another name, which can be called hypergonadotropic hypogonadism. So hypergonadotropic is essentially talking about the LH and FSH, meaning we are seeing elevated levels there. So in this primary or hypergonadotropic hypogonadism, this results in low testosterone. So that's kind of a common theme here. We're going to have low testosterone because we're talking about here. But then you also have impairment of spermatogenesis in terms of you can't make the sperm. And then we're going to have an elevated gonadotropin levels, meaning LH and FSH. So if we think about it here, breaking back physiology-wise, the hypothalamus works, right? It's secreting GnRH, no problem. So does the pituitary. 
pituitary work as well. So we have GnRH going to the pituitary, secreting LHFSH. So we have those, they're making them no problem. And then what's happening is they're having issue at the testes. So LH and FSH actually are going to be secreted like crazy. Essentially, your body's saying, hey, what the heck? Like, this should we should be giving me testosterone. Why are you not? I will give you more LH and more FSH to ramp that up. So essentially, we just keep pumping, pumping, pumping LH, FSH. We're going, 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 but our testes are saying, nah, not going to do it. And so that's why we have a low testosterone, but a really high elevate and FSH because everything above that is working, right? So testosterone is coming from the testes, and the testes are not working in this situation. And so that is why we have a lot of LH, FSH. Since your body's just saying, hey, this is what I usually make to make testosterone, I'm just going to do more. I'm going to keep ramping up until I get what I need, but it's not happening because there's something going on in the testes. And so that is essentially primary. That's what we're going for here. And what causes this? Well, it can be caused by a bunch of different things. One thing we look at specifically is called Klinefelter syndrome, where this is a genetic condition where the actual um, the patient has an XXY chromosome. So instead of just XY for male, we have XXY. So we have um, kind of two X's and an XY. So it's almost like a, a, a whole, like a, diff, a different sex chromosome, but there's two X's and a Y, and that can lead to all a bunch of different things. Also can be caused by cryptorchidism, which is a fancy word for saying an undescended testes. So that's why we check when you're a baby makes their descendant. Can cause from cancer chemotherapies, radiation in the testes. If you had trauma there, if you had testicular torsion, if you had some sort of infectious orchitis, which is an infectious inflammation in the testes. If you have HIV, um, if you have anachoria syndrome, which is essentially the absence of the testes. And if you have myotonic dystrophy, which is a genetic condition, all of those things could lead to um, essentially primary hypogonadism. So that's primary. Hopefully that makes sense where we're having the low testosterone because it's coming from the testes and we're gonna have high LH and FSH. Moving on to secondary, aka hypogonadotropic hypogonadism. That is a lot of words. If you're listening to this on two times speed, I mean, that's how I would do it. I listen to every podcast on two times speed, but uh, it's a lot of words. So secondary is also known as hypogonadotropic hypogonadism. So like we talked about before, primary was hypergonadotropic, right? This is hypo, hypo meaning low, gonadotropic hypogonadism, meaning we have that low testosterone, like they both have, we know that. But then we also are gonna have abnormally low or inappropriately normal gonadotropin levels, so that LH and FSH. And so let's talk about what that means a little bit. So when I say inappropriately low, what's that talking about? Or inappropriately normal. So in this situation, the testes still work. So if we somehow had LH and FSH, the testes would do their job and make testosterone. But something is going on with upstream, whether that's the pituitary or the hypothalamus, where either GnRH, LH is, or LH is kind of abnormal and it's not working properly. And so this is why in this setting, right, we have low testosterone, we would typically see high LH and FSH, right? If it's a problem from the testes, your body's like, hey, I'm gonna make more to make testosterone because I don't have enough testosterone. But this is the reason why we have inappropriately normal or low. It might just say, you know, quote unquote normal, meaning, oh, those are the normal levels, but it shouldn't be normal. That's the whole process here, which is kind of weird. This is all about, this is all what endocrine is and these feedback cycles and axes is that it should not be normal. So if we have low testosterone and we have meh, normal-ish LH, FSH, that's not what we should be having. We should have through the roof because your body's trying to make up for that loss of not having testosterone. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. Reasons why this could happen? Well, there are a bunch of different reasons as well. One, it could be due to a hyperprolactinemia, which means more prolactin, which we'll talk about more in terms of uh, what that's going. You can have severe obesity can also cause this as well. Iron overload syndrome, so we have too much iron. If you use opioids, this can cause this. Glucocorticoid use or androgen deprivation therapy. Anabolic steroid withdrawal syndrome, so not actually anabolic steroids, because if you have lots of testosterone, but if you're coming off that there, you might have withdrawal. 
Uh, if you had head trauma or pituitary surgery or radiation, um, I said, or there's other reasons we don't know and call it idiopathic when we're not sure, but those are kind of the main reasons for what we're calling the secondary um, hypogonadism. And so not to confuse you even more, but I will, Inside of that, there's also framework meaning we have things called organic or functional causes as well. So we can have organic or functional causes of either primary or secondary hypogonadism, just to confuse a little bit. But let's talk about the words organic versus functional first. So organic, essentially organic is caused by a congenital, structural, or destructive disorder that results in permanent hypothalamic, pituitary, or testicular dysfunction. So essentially this in can cause primary or secondary, right? So this is just like, what's the cause of it? Can cause primary or secondary, depending on where the issue is. So let's take a, an example here. A primary organic hypogonadism are things like Kleinfelter syndrome, cryptorchidism, myotonic dystrophy, post-radiation, um, orchitis, trauma, torsion, things that can't be changed at the level of the testes. So let's take that back, right? So if it's primary, once again, we know it's happening at the testes. If it's organic, it's something that we essentially can't change. So it's a bad luck, a bad genetic draw, or you had a trauma or an accident, things that like at this point in time, you can't go back and not have testicular torsion. If you had history of that, you can't go back and undo the trauma that you had is the trauma that you did have. So these, when I think of organic, it means, hey, it's organic. It just came up there. It's what we have. It's the cards we've been dealt. And we have to deal with it. It's not reversible. Not to confuse that with... Um, secondary causes. So we talk about primary, like I said, initially at the testes where we can have secondary organic as well. So secondary organic causes are hypothalamic or pituitary issues. And we can have issues up there, iron overload syndromes or idiopathic hypogonotropic hypogonism. That is essentially what we're saying. It's a kind of that catch all term when we get to the point where it's like, okay, it's not the testes and we've done all these other tests and we don't know what it is. Like that's what that is, unfortunately. So this is once again, at the level of the hypothalamus or pituitary, but it's going to be irreversible and not, we can't do anything about it because it's organic. Whew, follow along here. Let's keep going. So now let's move on to the functional ones. So functional are caused by conditions that suppress gonadotropin and testosterone concentrations, but are potentially reversible with the treatment or of that underlying condition, right? And so if we think about here, let's look at primary functional. A primary functional is something like, oh, uh, medications that inhibit androgens or end-stage renal disease. And so once again, primary, we talked about at the level of testes, but functional is, oh, this could potentially be reversible. Secondary is going to be obviously at the pituitary hypothalamus there. Things like that that are functional, meaning potentially reversible, are hyperprolactinemia. So we're having too much prolactin made up there. Um, we have opioid use, maybe anabolic steroid use, glucocorticoid use, alcohol use, marijuana, nutritional deficiencies, severe obesity, and organ failure. And so that's kind of all those things that it can be. So once again, if we're looking for talking about functional, functional is possibly reversed. And then secondary means, hey, not at the testes, it's somewhere else. And this is like um, the vast majority of the things that I see quite honestly is that, Hey, we're not, it's not a permanent one thing there, but a lot of times people with obesity or have lifestyle issues, this is kind of where it fits in where we can reverse things there. And, and that's always my goal. If we can have a functional one, then we can reverse it. And I'm always happy about that. So we're still tracking here. Hopefully everyone's doing well. We're going to talk about how do we determine the type of hypogonism, right? So we're going to determine if it's hypothalamic, pituitary, or testicular. And so, like I said, a lot of times we group hypothalamic pituitary together in terms of just like, hey, it's that category. So really we're trying to differentiate between hypothalamic and pituitary or testicular. So let's talk about secondary, right? We talked about secondary. That is not in the testicles as hypothalamic and pituitary. We're going to talk about how do we work that up, right? So essentially what we're going to have to do is we're going to measure the prolactin and iron saturation. Those are the two big tests. We're looking to get those tests because I'm looking to rule out a hyperprolactinemia, some sort of head trauma, iron overload syndromes, or hypothalamic or pituitary tumors. I said, or there can be other infiltrative or destructive hypothalamic pituitary disorders as well. But like I said, 
we're going to go through that. And that's obviously after getting the testosterone, right? So this is, we'll talk more about that, but we've gotten testosterone. We've been low and we looked at the testes and we looked at the LH and FSH and LH and FSH were low or inappropriately normal. We're like, okay, what's causing this? That's when we get this prolactin and iron. Those are like the two ones we'll get as well to say, Hey, okay, what's going on. And we're looking for all those things I just mentioned in terms of hyperprolactinemia, some sort of head trauma issue, something going on there. And if we do all that stuff and it's normal, then it's a diagnosis of exclusion, calling it congenital or that idiopathic hypogonadotropic hypogonadism. So like I said, that is a lot of words, but that's when we work up everything. We say, hey, we're not sure. I think before we can formally say that, what we would do is most likely get an MRI of the cell. A cell is kind of a part of the brain that we're talking, looking at the um, pituitary gland. And we're looking for other things that I like, could be a tumor there, something going on there. Like I said, if someone has symptoms, like they have headaches, visual field defects, or other visual problems, sometimes we can have, if we have a mass in the cella that can cause like visual problems and stuff. And so we'll do that. But like I said, if we've gone through and we got the prolactin, we got the iron, we're looking for all that stuff, we got the MRI and it still shows up that we don't know what's going on. And that's where we kind of name it idiopathic, meaning we're not sure what's going on. It's not the testes. It's not anywhere else that we see, but you still have this. And I'm sorry. So that is a big, unfortunate catch-all term there. So that is what we're talking about there for secondary in terms of working it up and how to determine it. And then for primary, like I said, a lot of times if we think it's primary, one thing, the first thing we'll order, obviously we've already done testosterone and LHFSH to determine that it's primary, but then we're going to karyotype. So a karyotype is looking at your genes and then we're looking for Kleinfelter, right? For XXY. And specifically we're looking at people who have a small testes size, less than six milliliters. So if you've ever been in urology office, they kind of have like a testes on a chain to kind of, you can actually like see what size they are. And so if there's a certain size, um, we worry about Kleinfelter. And so I just spent a whole bunch of time getting really in the nitty gritty and that was pretty nerdy. And if you're with me, congrats, that's awesome. But like, why do I care about this, Jordan? Why do we care about it all? Well, we care about this because we can treat secondary hypogonadism related infertility with gonadotropin medications to potentially restore infertility, but we can't do that with primary. So once again, if we have secondary hypogonadism, we may be able to give some type of medications to potentially restore infertility, whereas we're probably not gonna be able to do that with primary. Obviously, this is not one, something you're doing, you know, on casually here. You're, you're probably not even doing it through primary care doctor. This is usually we're getting urology on board um, or some sort of fertility specialist. But that being said, we care so much about differentiating, understanding what it is because it affects our treatment. And that's why we care. And on top of that, we care about is it functional or organic, right? Because functional can be reversed and organic cannot be. And like I said, the majority of the causes that I see are people who can turn this around with lifestyle management. Typically, they fall into that secondary category due to some sort of underlying chronic condition. So it's not an issue at the testes. And so I think it's so important because we need to go here. We need to be able to treat the actual problem and not just mask it, right? So obviously this whole thing we're talking about here, this is the Endocrine Society's recommendations. It is not necessarily what how I do it. And we'll kind of sprinkle in things here and there. I'm going through there. But the whole reason any of us do this and treat this is to treat the underlying problem and not just mask it. So if we have something that is a very obvious secondary cause and we're not, not addressing it, that's not ideal. I think we should obviously attack things that we can try to do it from a non-pharmacologic perspective too. And they would agree with that too, if we can, but obviously we have testosterone if we need to be, but like I said, all this whole spiel that I just talked about there in terms of why we're doing it, what we're looking for, how do I differentiate primary, secondary, what does it matter for all because it comes down to how we can best treat and help our patients. That's what we're going for here. Thanks so much for stopping by today. I really appreciate it. If you stuck all the way to the end, mad props to you because this is some dense stuff. So I appreciate it. I'd also appreciate it if you give this a five-star rating on iTunes or you share it with a friend. Those would be the best ways to help get the word out. And I'm just trying to help as many people as possible. So I really would appreciate your help. But thank you so much for, for listening to me and putting uh, your trust in me and spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. Now get off your phone, get outside and have a great rest of your day.
Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that the science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.